Hey y'all, so it's with Love Divorce episode 4, and guess what we're divorcing today? <laughs> Toxic relationships. Let's go! toxic relationships so let's get this party started all right so um i just want to start off with just letting you all know some things that have been going on and you know i was supposed to come here i was supposed to be here last week right y'all was supposed to see me i was supposed to be here weekly honey and i failed you i did um and let me tell you why want to hear it here go so, um, a few things have happened. Um, my birthday was April 17th and most of you know that. Um, <laughs> and, um, there was a, a death in my family on the, on my birthday. Um, and it was, it, it was, it was devastating for people who, um, like, especially his mother. Um, and so I want to say, you know, rest in peace to my cousin, Carl. Um, uh, that particular death came with so many emotions for so many people. Um, and we're not, we're not getting into that, but I'm thankful, um, that my aunt is doing well and that my cousins are all doing well. And, um, we're tr really trying to work through that. Right. And then, you know, we're hit with other deaths, um, and, uh, not in our, you know, our super close family, but, um, you know, in our, in our, in our, um, and our extended family. And so we're just, it was just, just, and they're all COVID related. So, um, it's been pretty tough. Right. And then my mother, um, I, I am adopted as most of you know, um, I'm adopted and, um, uh, my adopted mom. So let me just tell you. So my, my birth mother, um, who was a great mother, um, passed away when I was seven years old. And so, um, some things happened. Um, we were finally adopted when I was eight years old, um, by someone who is her friend and, um, and we were adopted into this family. And, um, I mean, we, we had a pretty rough childhood, um, not only with losing our mother, um, but there were some issues in the household, which I will probably get into. Um, I, I had a little fear about talking about this and going too deep because I don't want to be sued for defamation. But then I looked up defamation because y'all know anybody who knows me know who I am. I'm gonna look it up first. Um, and so because it's true and I have many people who would be able to, um, attest to it, um, I can say what I need to say because it's true. Um, so in that, in that environment, um, there were many things that happened. I, um, it was just, it was, it was bad. Um, and so, um, you know, as we got older, some of the things that, you know, we heard most often, um, were that we were orphans. Um, and we'd heard that from, um, you know, our adopted mother's children. 
Um, and one in particular really drove that, that point home. The other one, you know, was back and forth with it. Um, and so we heard this all the time. Right. And so we kind of struggled, um, my sister and brothers and I, we struggled to be a part, right. We struggled to feel like we had a seat at the table and that has definitely followed me throughout my life. Um, and it's followed me so much so that I have sought you know, these relationships with older women, um, whether they be through relationships that I have with people, um, you know, personal intimate relationships, you know, my, um, uh, if I, any relationships that I've been in, I'm trying not to mention certain things, but any relationships that I've been in, I've sought this relationship, um, to be with someone whose mother or father, um, would accept me because growing up without, um, uh, you know, that, true parent-child relationship is tough. It's tough. And I know that a lot of people, um, you know, in our lives, um, my sisters and I and my brother, they tried to, you know, basically say like, we should kind of get over it um, in a way, or we should push it aside because this is more important and all of that. Um, but those people grew up with parents. Um, and I just find, I always find it interesting when they say that, but um, they do. And, um, and I don't fault them because that is their opinion and they're speaking from their experience. Um, and so having my mother, um, my adopted mom, and I, I don't distinguish, I don't distinguish adopted mom from birth mother. Um, I only do that when necessary, right. To kind of tell a story. Um, I treat my mother, like I would treat my birth mother, um, there have been times where, you know, there there are situations that have um, happened and I've had to protect myself. And so um, I've had to protect myself, meaning, because I want to explain that, meaning I've had to distance myself um, from my adoptive mother um, because there was there were choices being made, you know, um, that kind of placed us on the back burner. And at that point in my life, um, I was about I'm 36. So I was 33, 34, actually, um, 34, um, when I made that decision. And it was a tough decision. I cried, I cried, I cried, I cried. Because anytime my mother um, fell sick or fell ill, I would um, rush to her side and I was, I would, I would most often be um, met with um, resistance because her children would block us from seeing her or block us from getting information. Um, and it was, it was devastating. It's devastating. It's devastating to have someone who is your mother and you are trying to be there and take care of her, but because you're not seen as her child, um, by her children, um, for whatever reason, um, you're blocked. Right. And so that's happened for years. Um, and there's always been somebody, I once had a pastor who it meant the world to me. I was on the phone with him and I remember crying because I could not get in to see my mother. They wouldn't let us in to see our mother. And he's just listening to me and listening to me. And next thing I know, He's literally drove from Rhode Island, Providence, Rhode Island to Newport, Rhode Island. And he's uh, on the elevator coming up the steps and he's the one who's able to kind of get us in the room. It was, it was incredible. Um, and I thank God for that. But there, those are, those are situations. Those are real life situations that have happened. Um, and now that my mother is sick um, and 
um, you know, with COVID, my mom already has, you know, some other issues. Um, and, and so we were all very, very scared. Right. And, and God could do whatever he wants to do. God could bring my mother out of this, you know, and, and be fine. Right. And so, you know, part of the reason, you know, I was very upset was because it was unnecessary. My mother, um, did not have to, uh, contract this, um, disease. She did not have to have COVID. Um, there are many things that could have prevented it, but, um, you know, here is where we are. So, um, you know, I was met with, um, I'm at this point, you know, where I'm trying to get information and it was hard, you know, I couldn't get that information that I needed. Um, in the beginning I could, um, and then it was basically told to us to stop calling and to allow one person to get the information, but this one person, always considers us the orphans. So they weren't going to share that information with us. Um, long story short, very long story short, we ended up speaking to her one time um, and we haven't heard anything from them since. Um, and so now I don't quite know how my mother is doing, um, but I do know that she is still here on this earth and I'm praying for her every day. Um, and I've had to come to the, the conclusion um, that, you know, all I can do is try, right? And all I can do is figure out a way um, to be there. And and so it brought me to this revelation. Um, it brought me to a revelation. And um, it, it's one that I, it, it was hard to come to because it took me over 30 years or almost 30 years to get to, right? So about 28 years to get to, right? Whatever. I don't know. Yeah, about 28 years to get to. Um, and so... Um, it led me to this, and this was actually supposed to just be about the choices that I've made and the choices that we make, um, and choosing relationships, right. With these toxic people. Right. And so I, you know, started to record this and did record, um, uh, last week, two posts last week and all of this happened and it shifted, right what I needed to say about this particular situation shifted. And so now I'm bringing it to you from a completely different perspective. Um, not only are we going to talk about, you know, intimate relationships in terms of, you know, someone that we partner with um, and we fall in love with, but yes, we're going to talk about friendships and we're going to talk about family relationships. And it's important to do this because in this process of figuring things out and healing, or trying to heal because I'm still in the middle of healing, but I'm bringing this to you because this is what has been given to me, um, both um, with both through prayer and um, through study, um, and with really great friends who um, who have honestly been there um, to listen to me cry. They call me to check on me and see if I'm okay. They have Facetimes me to. Make sure I've literally, I have a friend who I sat on FaceTime with for hours just to make sure I was good. Like she was amazing. And when I say hours, I mean hours um, until the wee hours in the morning, laughing and joking with me just to make sure that I was good. And this is someone who doesn't, who didn't experience my childhood with me and who didn't know what I had been through on that level, but did know some of the situation. And she just wanted to make sure that I was okay. And that is invaluable. Um, and so 
I am thankful to her. And I'm going to shout her out. Shanice, I appreciate you. I love you. Thank you. Um, and so, um, yeah, Shanice Delisa. Let me just say that. Um, <laughs> that's my that's my girl. That's my friend. And I appreciate you. Um, and so I want to um, I want to get into this. So let's start off. Um, you know, this is something I started writing about in in the book months ago. Um, and I want to read a little something to you because it was important to me. Um, it was important to me, obviously, because, you know, I wrote it out. So let's just um, let's get into it. All right. So I said emotions are transient to a trauma survivor. They are the absentee parent that only comes around when they're ready. We cannot depend on their stability yet include them in the biggest events and decisions of our lives. When they arrive, we're either so awestruck by their presence or so angry at the nerve that they had to show up three hours late, that we, com we are completely quiet. We hand them the keys to our brand new 2021 Porsche Cayenne, because that's what I want, honey, right? And we hop into the backseat so distracted that we fail to see that they are impaired. The next time we open our eyes, we are lying in a bed with our legs amputated because they crashed the car. These are the costs of allowing our impaired emotions to take the driver's seat in our lives. And so I want you to meet Samson. <sighs> Oddly enough, growing up, I always loved Samson. I don't know why he was one of my favorite characters. I didn't. Now I do. Um, you know, I love David. David was my boy. David, I always pictured David to be like this really super fine, like, dude, like he was the finest king in the Bible that to me, right? But Samson, Samson was the Boris Kojo to my Lil Wayne, right? So he was like, Samson was um just fine, right? And to, in my brain. And Samson was my protector. And Samson, who was also, oddly enough, who I became when I needed to protect myself. And I remember, I tell people all the time that I remember being angry, right? I was angry. And I took my anger out on many people, right? Um, people in my family, um, that didn't do anything to me. Um, some cousins that I have, I remember saying some really nasty things to them when I was about 13. Um, and they still love me and I appreciate you for loving me still. Thank you. I love you. Um, and so I did those things when I was young because there was so much going on and what I could control, I controlled, right? I could control my emotions. I could control my, <laughs> my, my actions to an extent. Um, and so those are the things that I wanted to control. And I started feeling myself and smelling myself. And that's what I was going to control. And you can't tell me that I can't. Um, and so I loved Samson because Samson was like the Hulk, right? It was through every piece of the story he led and was like, he, I just felt like he was so justified with his anger. And it wasn't until I began writing this book that I understood a couple of things. I understood that I used to fall in love with Samson's. I used to fall in love with people I thought would protect me, but actually I didn't understand that they were still trying to prove that they were a man. I used to fall in love with 
uh, people who <laughs> so who were so led by their emotions that they did really dumb things and got themselves in trouble, or they did really dumb things and hurt me. And when I say hurt me, whether that be physically or that would be emotionally or mentally or financially, whatever, they did ridiculous things because they led with their emotions. I've been with people who cheated on me because they led with their emotions. I've been with people who, um, like I said, physically hurt me because they led with their emotions. I've been with all types of people. So with that said, I was always looking for a Samson. And so when I started writing this book, I was just under the impression that this Samson character was just the person that I had chosen and that this Samson character was, it was important for me to visualize a Samson character because it was like, I don't want any more Samsons in my life, right? What I didn't understand is that the correlation between who I was as a child was definitely who I became as an adult, an adult in a different way. And let me explain. I became Samson as a child, like I said, to protect myself. I remember a time, I was 19 years old. I was living with my then boyfriend's mother. Um, and, you know, I had a child with this person. Um, and I was living with her. Um, he He wasn't around because, you know, he was getting his education. That's what we like to say in our community. He was getting his education. And so... Um, I remember she came home and she told me something that really, really infuriated me about someone in my family saying something and causing issues within the family, in her family. Um, and I was so angry because I understood, you know, and she was so right. She was like, she needed to set a boundary. And she's like, I do not allow this type of foolishness in my home. And I thought that I had, you know, escaped this foolishness. I thought I escaped this part of the family, right? Um, because I'm on my own with, with her, you know, on my own with my child. And I really believe that I escaped this type of foolishness. And she had every single right to protect the peace of her home, which she did. And she said to me, Listen, and she did not make it that I needed to leave that day or that week or that month. She did not say that. But she said um, that I did need to find my own place to live because of what had happened, right? Um, this was my adopted sister had started some mess. And I don't even remember what the mess was, honey, but she started some mess. Um, and it got to the person that I was staying with. And it just became this. It blew up. So I was so angry. Samson. I turned into Samson and I drove my Samson self over to my mama's house because she was still living with my mama and I drove myself over there and um, I was angry and I sat there for hours. They were out shopping. I, when I say hours, I mean, it had to be about six of them. And I sat in the same spot with the same anger. I mean, the, First, I don't know how you angry for that long. I can't do that no more. But I was, I was so angry, and I sat there and I was just, I was just fuming because I felt like with this particular person, this woman that I had moved in with, like I felt like she was so like I used to leave her like little notes and stuff and tell her how much I cared about her and so how thankful I was for her because she was the closest thing at the time that I had to a real mom. And I was so angry that, that this was being taken from me again, right? That's how I felt. 
and I felt justified, honey. So I drove my Samson behind over there, sat my Samson behind on that step for six hours with the same Samson anger and waited. And when she arrived, I ran down the stairs with my Samson behind and began to hit her. I pulled her out of the car and, and like just began to fight. And she, yes, she was pregnant. And I didn't care because I also felt justified in that because when I was pregnant, she threw something at my stomach. And so I felt justified, okay? So I began this fight with a pregnant woman. Yes, I was 19. Yes, I was stupid. And yes, I have been healed. And yes, this is why we are here. Um, And so this happens, the police come and thankfully they were so good to us, right? They knew my uncle, they knew us. And so they were very sweet and they let me go. I was 19 and I had a son. I could have been gone to jail. I could have, um, there were so many things that could have happened. My son could have been taken away from me. I could have lost all the scholarships that I had. I could have been kicked out of school because I was in college at the time. There were so many things that have happened, but because my anger, my anger got the best of me. I did what I did. After that day, I realized that that's not cool and I don't want to lose my child and I don't want to get kicked out of school. I don't want to lose my scholarships. I just realized what I had done, right? And so I decided to change my anger. I decided to try to work on that and to start to walk away and to set boundaries instead of reacting, right? And so I was like, you know, I just want to make sure that I think through things before I react. And when people start to anger me and they know that they're getting what they, they, they are angering me to the point where they're getting what they want from me, I need to walk away. And so I had to learn that the hard way, but I did learn it. And I'm thankful. I mean, sometimes Samson will Samson will come back up and I got to tell Samson, go on here and sit down now. Now, you know, I'm different. So this is just sometimes, this is some of the, the ways in which Samson had shown up in my life. Well, I had not, Samson and I had not had a conversation in a very long time. And when you are grieving, um, you know, when I lost my, my oldest sister, um, Selena, I grieved. And when I say I grieved, I grieved in a way that I never thought I would. And my God, I was, I have never, yeah. So it was just bad. This type of grief um, was connected to trauma. My complex childhood trauma. And so I began to... I began to, when I, when this started to happen and I wasn't able to get in touch with my mother, I began to act a fool inside. I did not respond because there were like these crazy Facebook messages that were coming. There was just, it was just bad. It was just bad. And I, I said nothing. Family members saw that I said nothing and began to reach out to me because Chaplay saying nothing means that it's, like it's like a ticking time bomb, right? Normally. And so I was pissed. Um, I was I was hurt. I was crying every day. I was angry. And I started every time I started to write a letter, a scathing letter, like 
to go off on these people, to say what I wanted to say, to talk about every single thing that they had done to my mother and every single thing that I had done, like all that, right? Something would happen and I would have to stop writing the letter and I couldn't send it. Because if I sent it, it would have been like tacky at the time and it just wasn't the right time to cuss some nobody out. It was just bad. It was just every time I started to send a new letter that I had started that would hit them where I wanted to, jab them where I wanted to, something would happen. And I believe that was God. And so Samson just kept trying to just doop, doop, bubbling up, bubbling, bubbling. And so I had put in my mind that I was going to drive to where my mother was with full PPE. I'm going to be responsible because I have a child in this house with asthma. And I was going to drive to my mother, wherever my mother was. And they was finna put me on the list. I, it was just bad. And so thankfully, I didn't do that. And so I had people around um, who kind of just started to trigger check me. Um, a couple of them had listened to the podcast and they said, Hey, Hey, you, you young lady, I'm a trigger check you because you are working on something and you have too much to lose. And so I didn't, I didn't act a fool, praise you the Lord. Um, I did trigger check myself. Um, I got myself together. Um, and I was able to begin the process of healing. And so I was able to understand that those emotions were fleeting, right? Those emotions that I was feeling about what was happening. And yes, it's still, I mean, they come and go, they come and go. But what else saved me was understanding that I had placed myself in a position of blind loyalty. Let me explain. My mother loves me in her own special way. I believe that she loves me and I believe she loves all of her children. Um, that doesn't um, mean that there weren't things that she did that were horrible. There weren't, that does not mean that, um, that she is a perfect mother. It means that she was dealing with her own things and that it also means that, you know, she loves me, but it just she has to do other things, right, to keep her sanity, maybe. I, I can't speak for her, but I know she loves me, right? Um, I'm on the phone with my mother one day. This is before, you know, everything was shut down and I couldn't speak to her. And my mom is tired. She's in the hospital and she's tired. And um, she says to me, Shaplay, you have the right to know what's going on with me. She said it with such conviction. You have the right. You are my daughter. And she said that I could call and I could get information. She had already given um, uh, permission to speak to me a couple of nights prior to the doctor, which, you know, called me and told me that, you know, um, what was going on with her. And I just was like, I, I, I was, when she said it, I was like, yes, you are right. Yes, I do. I do have the right. And I was like, you know, I ain't going to stop trying, right, mom? And she said, I know, I know who you are. And so I said, well, yes, you do. So I'm going to keep trying, right? And um, she began to talk to me about where she wanted to 
make her final rest, right? Where she wanted to be buried. She talked to me about where she was like, don't send me to this place. I'm not going to say this on this video because that would be not good. Um, and don't send me to this place. And I said, I won't send you there, mom. Um, and I'll make sure everybody knows, don't, don't, don't send my mama there. We ain't going to send her there. Um, and you know, we're just, and I'm like, I can't believe that. And I said to her, I said, I can't believe that I'm able to sit and have this conversation with you. And I'm not like screaming, crying right now. And she said, yeah, you're doing really good. You're doing good. Um, and a nurse comes in and the nurse, um, says to my mother, like my mother, I guess she comes in with all of her gear or whatever. And so my mom goes, Oh baby, they're about to take, they're about to take my vitals. And I said, Oh yes, ma'am. I'll just, I'll call you back. And so when I'm right before I'm about to hang up, the nurse says, no, 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 you don't have to call anybody back. I'm just taking your temperature. So my mom goes, Oh, okay. Okay, cool. So I, she says, I was on the, I'm on the phone with my daughter. And so the woman says, Oh, is this, this daughter and names one daughter and, or, is it the other daughter who you are going to allow us to give information to? The only other one with access is basically what she was saying. And my mother didn't answer her question with me on the phone. She just said, I have six daughters. One of them passed away. And I didn't understand it then. I, I, I just kind of was like, mm, what's that about? But I just, I'm not gonna, my mom is in the hospital with COVID. I'm not about to go back and forth with my mama. Um, so I'm just like, okay, ma, so we're, you know, we're, we, we continue talking and they take her temperature and you know, all of that. And it was, it was, it was a good time. I mean, I was so proud of her. She spoke to me for over an hour and I kept trying to, mommy, you sure you don't want to hang up? So kind of like rest yourself. Like, and she's like, no, no, she wants to talk to me, whatever. Great conversation. I hang up. I call my sisters, uh, my sister, Makiba and my sister, Anna, and I tell them, you know, hey, I did talk to mom and this is what she said to me. And um, we try to keep each other informed because no one else is giving us information at this point. I'm, my cousin was trying to get us information, um, but yeah, no one was giving us information really. And so a couple days go by and um, my sister McKeeve and Anna's like, Chaplay, call tomorrow. This would have been Saturday. Call tomorrow because, you know, the nurses know you and they've been giving you information. So I call the next day and the nurse comes on and she says, um, it's the same, it's one of the same nurses that I've been talking to. And she says, hi, Chaplay. And she could just tell in her voice, she was about to tell me something that I wasn't going to like. And so I was like, is my mom okay? And she says, yes, um, she's still with us. And I said, oh, okay. I was like, hey, I was just calling to get an update because I just, because I had, you know, I didn't tell her, but we had received some really awkward Facebook messages. And so we wanted to get, you know, the real information. So I asked her what's going on. And my mother said, I mean, and she says to me, I'm sorry, the nurse says to me, um, I'm sorry, Chaplay, I can't give you information anymore. There are two people who have been chosen, um, to they've been chosen to receive information and we can only talk to them. And right away, I knew that was my mother's two biological daughters because of the conversation that I've heard. And so it brought me into this blind loyalty, right? Cause I'm like, I really like, like I was 100% like, yes, you're right. Ma, I do have the right. Right. And so you know, for whatever reason, this is what my mother did. 
And I believe, you know, it has a lot to do with everyone's feelings about who we are or whatever. And that is fine. But I think for me, um, that day, it didn't crush me. It didn't crush me that day. It just kind of like made me go, hmm, all right. So it wasn't me. And my mom, this is what happened. Oh, wow. And so I was just like, you know what? I was calm and I was like, I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm going to put up my boundary and I'm going to stop. Um, as time went on, it just got, it just, it just began to get worse. Like I said, we were able to speak to my mom and I'm thankful for that. Um, it was, it was an interesting like 40 person conversation, but we did get to speak to my mom. So what are some of the parallels? And I started to, you know, think like, you know, I've had a relationship, you know, with my ex-husband for some time. And I think about the times where, you know, my mom, you know, she would go into her room for some days and she, you know, really didn't want to talk to anybody. And so when I was younger, I used to leave these notes for her and I used to um, put food outside for her. And my mom used to come out and she'd be angry when she came out. Right. And I'm giving you the real soft version of it. And, um... And I would continue. I would just keep trying and trying, like, you know, just whatever I could, right? Give you this, mommy. I'm a, I love you, mommy. I would buy her, like, I remember I brought her this prayer journal. Um, just so many things, right? So, because I was just, I wanted to have this relationship with my mom. So one day, you know, the same, the same day, I'm down talking to my ex and I, you know, we are talking about, you know, something. And he said something to me that triggered me. Oh, it triggered me. And I just immediately, it clicked. And I said, oh, wow, you know, I am, I have been expecting too much of you. I'm expecting you to give me the same energy, the same um, care, even after our divorce, that I give you. I always want to make sure that he is okay. I want to make sure that, you know, going into his future, he doesn't take some of the, you know, stuff from the past into his future. So I'm always like, yeah, we need to work on this. And yeah, we need to work on that. And I realized that it parallels, right, with my, my relationship with my mother. Constantly working and trying to put myself in a position to receive love. With that said, I am understanding that I'm more like Samson than I understood before. And it's not in a way where I am, you know, angry and beating people up like Samson, well, I'm getting hot in here, beating people up like Samson was, but in a way, I am allowing my emotions to lead me when the person in front of me is giving me all the information that I need. Let's get into it. So when we talk about, you know, Samson, right? Samson, you know, we always talk about Samson and Delilah, but we also don't talk about Samson and his first, li his first wife. And Samson, his first wife, he met this, this woman in Timnah. Um, you know, he told his parents to go um, and get, it's a, it was a Philistine woman, told his parents to go and get this woman for him. And so basically, you know, 
his parents gets this woman for him and when during their feast when they're you know when they get married um samson was large right he was strong and he had this long hair and you know he was a big dude and so when the philistines saw samson when they were coming to the feast the feast with um his wife and and samson the philistines brought bought 30 friends along with them for protection so samson saw what the philistines did that they came deep right and so samson began to engage in a pissing contest if you will with the philistine men and so he says to him basically this he says to them you know if you can figure out this riddle then i'll make sure i give you 30 garments for your friends but if you don't figure out this riddle then you got to give me 30 garments blah 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 okay so his wife so they they threatened his wife the philistines threatened his wife and says you need to because they're not samson's not gonna come over here and embarrass us right not going to make us look like a bunch of punks. And so they would threaten his wife. And his wife went to Samson and says, Samson, you hate me because you won't tell me this riddle, right? Because I need you to tell me this riddle. So Samson finally, after a long while, um, against his better judgment, because he kept trying to say, no, if I'm not even going to tell my parents the riddle, like, why would I tell you? Um, and the riddle honestly was, um, you know, Basically, you know, for something out of the lion came something sweet. And I'm going to find the exact thing. And I don't know why I didn't bring it up before I got down here. But um, the the riddle was basically about. I'm going to get it for you right now because I was, I was just in here. All right. Out of the eater came something to eat and out of the strong came something sweet. That was the riddle. And who in the world was going to figure out that riddle? Wasn't nobody going to figure out that riddle. Samson was being petty. Okay. And so he tells his uh, wife that basically he said, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And so his wife went back to the Philistines and told it and told the Philistines, you know, the answer to the riddle. And, you know, Samson is angry, right? And he says, if you hadn't um, threatened or pressed my heifer or pressed my wife, then you wouldn't have figured out the riddle. And it all had to do with him killing a lion. And, um, you know, on the way back from killing the lion, there was honey in the lion's, in the lion's carcass. And um, he basically was like, out of something strong, something that was supposed to overpower me, I killed it and made something sweet from it. And that's basically what he was trying to say. So he's sitting there, think about it, all cocky, right? And he sees the Philistines with people like 30 deep, 30 more, 30 or more deep. And so he's like, huh, and then tells him this riddle. So out of what's supposed to overpower me comes something sweet. That's arrogant as I don't know what, right? Because honestly, he didn't even have to say nothing. He didn't have to do nothing. He could have just let them be who they were going to be because they were they were obviously punks if they had to come 30 deep, right? So he is so angry and he kills 30 people, takes garments and gives these 30 garments to the people, uh, the Philistines people and, and just like leaves, right? 
And from there, um, he then returns later and he wants to go into his wife. Um, that is the epitome of toxic masculinity because one, you mad at me and we ain't had a conversation about it, but you think you're just going to return and we just going to, you just going to go in to me. Right. So let's just, I mean, but okay. So the father says the woman's father, she's like, he's like, you know, I gave her away because I thought you didn't like her no more because you were mad at her because of what she did. So Samson's angry because Samson's like, doesn't blame the father, but blames the Philistines. So then the Phil, so he goes out to the Philistines. But he just sets their farms on fire. Just Jesus. He was just acting up, right? He just, he he doesn't want to take responsibility. Um, So after he sets their farms on fire, they kill his ex-wife now, right? And her father. So then he goes back and heals a bunch of them. So he's just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. All of this emotion. After he kills a bunch of people, because he does it again, um... He gets to Delilah and it is the exact same situation with Delilah that it was with his wife and Delilah is trying to get this information out of him. And it is very obvious to Samson that that's what she's trying to do. But Samson ends up falling for it because Samson, it says Samson loved Delilah. Now, if you remember from the last podcast, we talked about when the Bible says that someone loves someone doesn't mean that the Bible is telling you that they loved each other. It just means that. Samson loved Delilah. <laughs> That's all that that means. Just like Leah loved Jacob or Jacob loved Rebecca, right? And so, you know, I took a look at that and I was like, man, you know, there's all this like blind, just emotion and you're just e- like, he was emotion. He just was led by his emotions. He had no emotional um, intelligence. He had no um, control over his emotions that he just allowed people to anger him and then led he led with his emotions. I have done that as we have just discovered. And so I thought about it. So why do we create, why do, why did he fall in love with Delilah? Delilah never gave him the indication that she wanted to love him, right? I mean, she was just kind of like chilling, like, and he was like in love with her. And so why do we create these situations? Well, I started thinking about trauma bonds. And so let's talk about it. A trauma bond is a bond that forms due to intense emotional experiences, usually with a toxic person. Similar to Stockholm Syndrome, it holds us emotionally captive to a manipulator who keeps us hostage, whether that be through physical or emotional abuse. Okay. So this emotional reactivity, right, that, you know, um, Samson suffers from, he is now created this trauma bond because it's familiar, right? This Stockholm syndrome is really when somebody, you know, kidnaps you and or, you know, you're with somebody who is abusing you and that person, you begin to fall in love with them. And so he really was like he would seek out these people who were not good for him and create these relationships because it was what was familiar, right? And I thought I was before, I was like, well, his parents were pretty dope, right? His mother was overbearing, you know, and his father was overbearing as well. And that was really because they wanted to protect him, right? Because they were trying to keep, because God had given them this son. And so they were trying to keep him safe because they had, he had come with the message that he was going to 
save the children, um, you know, the Nazar the Nazarites out of like the hand of the Philistines, right? So he was gonna save God's people from the Philistines. And so he um he was being protected by his father and his mother. So I'm thinking, well, I mean, his childhood wasn't horrible. Where could this horrible thing have come from? And I said, well, hey, 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 I'm starting to understand. Okay, so we're going to get into it for real. So why do we, why do we do this? Like, why, what is with this? What can add to emotional reactivity? Trauma, yes. Toxic masculinity and femininity, absolutely. Mental health issues, yes, 100%. Substance abuse issues, nature and nurture. But what else attracts us to emotionally reactive people? Lack of protection in childhood, familiarity and camaraderie, or the martyr complex. I was speaking to my friend, um, Shanice, and we were talking about uh, empaths. And she said, you know what? I was talking to one of my friends and she said, empaths have egos too. And I am an empath. Now, before all y'all religious people, the, the, the YouTube theologians and the IG theologians and your Facebook theologians get to rebuking me and saying that I am wicked. Listen, an empath really is a person who has discernment. So calm down. It's one of the seven gifts, honey. It's, I mean, one of the gifts. Sorry. Um, so the gift of discernment really is nine gifts. I'm sorry. So one of the gifts of discernment is, is really about being unable to see a situation and discern what's going on. But also you can discern someone's feelings. You can discern, and it's not about the person. It's about the situation or the feeling. And so you just, you can discern the feeling that's coming. You can discern the spirit. You can discern all of those things and you are an empath, right? It's just a different word for it. So just say I have the spirit of discernment for this particular situation so that you'll continue to listen in the name of Jesus. Okay, so I have the spirit of discernment. And so an empath has an ego too. And so I was like, okay, well, when she's explaining it, it's like that we have to, we can fix those people. And I'm like, hmm, like Samson, was he an empath? Because he knew what was going on, right? He knew what was happening. He knew that the person was trying to get the information out of him because he kept denying the information both to his ex-wife and to Delilah. So what was it? Like, what made him just give it up? Was he trying to, like, test their loyalty? He knew that he shouldn't, but... So that's what we do to ourselves, right? We, we have these things within us, right? That And it's called... The id, the ego, and the superego, right? And the ego mediates between the id and the superego. The id is trying to get you to do things like, you know, you're supposed to be on a diet. It's trying to get you to eat cake, honey. It wants you to indulge. And as a matter of fact, I got some Reese's right chill. And I'm supposed to be on a diet. And yes, I have been doing okay. You know, I have eaten a couple of Reese's since my birthday. I ain't gonna lie. Um, and so... You know, the, the, the id is like the child within us, right? The id, it wants immediate gratification. It has selfish desires. And I see the id as being the age that I was when the trauma occurred, right? So you're the same child 
And to be honest, children think of themselves only. It is our subconscious. And I'll put up something in the video to show what Freud was talking about, right? Because this is a Sigmund Freud, you know, um, this is one of the things that he came up with, right? So, so the it is our child, right? The it is our little selfish person within us. The superego is trying to get you to make good decisions and to be an upstanding person. So the it is the it is also, I mean, the superego is also like future oriented. It's like, nah, you shouldn't eat those Reese's because what we're trying to do is we're trying to lose weight, honey. You're trying to be fine. You're trying to be a hot girl. It's trying to have a hot girl summer. You're trying to like, you don't need those Reese's because hot girl summer and Reese's don't go together. Um, so boo, let's put down the Reese's. Let's think about what we're talking about. Let's, let's put down the drink because it has a bunch of sugar in it, carbs. Let's just go ahead and just leave it over there because we have things that we have to do. Future oriented, right? The super ego, um, is trying to think, it's trying to get you to think of the goal that you're trying to achieve. And it's more rational than the id. And it's always thinking ahead. Like, whereas the id is thinking of right now. So it's your pre-conscious, right? So your it is your subconscious, your super ego is your pre-conscious. And then we have the ego. It's your moral compass, right? And so the ego wants to step in between the two and say, hey, 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 we're gonna think about this rationally, you know? You shouldn't have the Reese's because you're trying to lose weight, honey. And then, you know, you're right. She is trying to lose weight. because we, What are we gonna do? So let's come to a middle ground, right? And so it's being the referee between the id and the, and the ego, helping you decide and to make decisions um, based on what's going to satisfy both sides. That's what a mediator does, right? So maybe you don't eat the entire Reese's, maybe you only eat half of it. And that's what, <laughs> that's what you do, right? And so that's what our mind begins to do. And so I started thinking like, okay. So let's think about my situation in particular. And we can think about yours. So you're in a, you know, I'm in a situation where something's going on with my mom. I'm really, I'm really anxious. I'm really angry. And so my, it is like, let's go ahead and get this over with and cuss them out. Let's respond to this Facebook message. Right? But super ego is like, no, you got stuff that you need to do. You have... You have a podcast that you need to, you know, um, record for. You have other things that are more important than responding to this, right? My ego is like, okay, well, maybe I can also, I can do this and I can help fix them. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that either. Um, and so I got to the realization that I just needed to heal, Right. And so my ego is telling me at this point, I need to heal. But your ego also can leave you. Can lead you in a situation where you're trying to satisfy both sides. And when you're trying to satisfy both sides, you end up leading yourself into a ditch. And it's all because of our attachment styles, right? How we attach and why do we attach in these ways? And so there are different types of attachment styles and that is secure attachment, avoidant attachment, which is dismissing. So secure is more autonomous and it gives, you know, the other person in the relationship that you have autonomy to do whatever they're going to do. And you also have autonomy to do whatever you're going to do with avoidant. It's dismissing anxious. It's preoccupied. And then you have disorganized and that's unresolved. And that shows up for in a number of different ways for us, right? 
And so it shows up how and how we perceive and deal with the closeness and emotional int- intimacy, our ability to c- communicate our emotions and needs and listen to and understand the emotions and needs of others. It it um also it also gets in the way of how we respond to conflict and our expectations about our partner in the relationship, right? And so like I said, I had, you know, when I was I was saying to my ex like, "Wow, I have some really unrealistic expectations of you." And so I have to think about the relationships that I have and think about the expectations of those relationships like the relationship that I have with my mother or the relationship that I have with friends. I have relationships with friends where I will literally come out of my bed with a broken arm, honey, and do whatever they need me to do because that is literally what has happened in the past. Um, I still have those same friends who I haven't heard from at all. (laughs) Um, Then I have friends who I haven't received a call from. I just have friends who you know, who understand what I'm going through, but who have not been there. And so I have to understand that they may be putting up a boundary as to what they're able to put into their, because they're dealing with the pandemic as well. They're dealing with this whole entire, like they, their mind and their, their homes are being disrupted and they're dealing with all of the emotions that come along with that. And so is it really realistic for me to think that they need to then add on to the emotions that they're already feeling to come into a a situation that they know is already really tense and try to help me through this tense moment? It doesn't matter if I would do that for them. That's not their threshold. My threshold is not someone else's threshold. So what is this? So what are my attachment things, right? So am I secure? I'm definitely not secure attached. Um, I definitely, especially with this situation, she's still working on it. And so that's a low avoidance and low in on anxiety and you're comfortable with intimacy and you're not worried about rejection or preoccupied with the relationship. With your avoidant, you are high of a, in avoidance. You're low in anxiety. You're uncomfortable with closeness. Um, and you primarily value independence and freedom. And so you're like, I, the, you know, listen, some people, and I'm not saying all people, but some people who are in poly relationships are like, listen, I can have a couple of different, th- those could also be secure attachments as well, but I could, I, I can, you know, have a couple of different relationships and I don't have to really be super into either one of them, but I can get what I can get whatever I want on the other side. Right. Or I can have this one relationship and be very you know, into this one person, but have my thing on the side. And it really, for a lot of people, is protecting their emotions. For other people, it's a secure attachment because they just feel like they are securely attached to the person that they're with and they can have these other attachments and they're not worried about who their person is with, right? And that's fine. I am not judging anyone's lifestyle. Do your thing, okay? (laughs) Um, Then you have anxious, right? You're anxiously attached. So you're low on avoidance, and you're high in anxiety. Those are your super clingy, right? You're you crave closeness and intimacy, very insecure about the relationship. Always if you oh my goodness, I might put this in the video. You see the little baby and she's like, "You love me? You love me? You love me to her dad." And, she, and he's like, "Yes, I love you." And she's like, "You love me? Yes, I love you. You love me?" Literally. I mean, as an adult, that's annoying. As a child, as a baby, that's so cute. That baby's the cutest baby ever. Um and so 
that's the anxious attachment. I'm going to find that video and put it in the, <laughs> in the video. Um, and then anxious and avoidant, right? I'm sorry, uh, anxious. Uh, so anxious and avoidance, my bad. So you're high on, high on avoidance and you're high on anxiety. And that is like this disorganized, right? Avoid um, this disor disorganized attachment. And so you're uncomfortable with intimacy and you're worried about your partner's commitment and love. And so I'm uncomfortable getting close to others and I find it difficult to trust and depend on them. And I worry about um, if I'll be hurt if I get close to my partner. This outline explains um, the four adult you know, uh, attachment styles, but the behavioral, cognitive, and social aspects of each style. And so it's a, it's common for adults to have a combination of these traits rather than to fit into just one style. And so I can say that for a long time that I was anxious and avoidant because I would want to really be with somebody and I really want to love that person. I really want that person to love me. And oh my goodness, I love you, love you, love you, love you. Don't leave me. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then I'm doing all of these things and then I get to the realization that, oh, wait, you're not doing that too. So then I'm avoided instead of just getting out of the relationship. So let's talk about what that makes me. That makes me the Samson in my relationships. That makes me, so let's look at ourselves, right? Are you the Samson in your relationship? Are you the toxic person in your own personal relationship with yourself? I'm not talking about your relationship with others. I'm talking about the relationship with yourself. I am toxic to myself. That is what I realized in these couple of weeks that you ain't seen me. <laughs> I am toxic to myself. I place myself in situations where I will love, 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 even though I know that this love is not reciprocated. That is toxic to myself. I was speaking to my friends, Rita and Shanice, um, about what was going on. And I said, <laughs> one of my friends said, uh, what did she say? Well, if you know that this person is not going to give you what you're asking for, why do you keep going back? I said, I don't know, but I know if this person were to call me today, I'd get up out of my bed in the middle of the night and go. Cause that's what I'm gonna do. That's who I am. And they said, mm. And I was like, yep, uh-huh, yep, because I'm, I'm toxic to myself, Jesus. Lord have mercy. So are you toxic to yourself? Or do you have these toxic relationships with other people because of your attachment style? Do you have these toxic relationships with other people and expect all of this from other people? And instead of labeling, inst instead you're labeling them toxic, which they, they may be toxic, but they aren't holding you hostage, right? You are not a child anymore. I'm not a child anymore. I don't have to have these types of relationships. I don't have to be in relationships with people who do not reciprocate. There's reciprocity and it's not, it's not about love. It's about relationship. Love is very different. I can love someone unconditionally and not put myself in a position to be in a relationship that is not reciprocal. I can still love you and set boundaries, right? And so are you loving people? Are you in these relationships with people and have not set boundaries with these people for fear that they will leave, for fear that um, they, 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 you will have to find someone else, for fear that 
um, you're you are or you could have fear that you're just, you know, being negative and you know, people may have made you believe that you just have all of these negative thoughts. Really, what it is is that you need to make the decision for yourself to get yourself out of the toxicity. You need to no longer be toxic to yourself. We are divorcing this toxic relationship with ourselves. Mm, it God. <laughs> Glory. So I had to come to that realization. Yes, I've been in toxic relationships. Absolutely. But they were a reflection of who I am and who I was to myself. They were a reflection of how I was loving myself. But I labeled these people toxic. Were their behaviors toxic? Yeah. But I could have left a long time ago. I could have put up a boundary a long time ago. And I, you have to come to the realization that there is no one in your life that is worth holding on to that is a detriment to yourself that will kill your heart, that will kill your spirit, that will murder your soul. Not one person. As much as I love my children, if my children were to beat me up and kick me out, there is no way I'm holding on to those children in that way. My love for them is unconditional. Anybody who knows me and my children knows I don't play about mine. Those are my babies. Those are my, that is my flesh. That is my blood. That is the, those are the loves of my life. They are the, like, literally, I say they are the beauty for my ashes. While I don't believe my children would do those things to me, if something like that would happen to me, I know that those are no longer boundaries that I, those are, there's a boundary that I have to put up, right? And that's no longer a relationship that I can continue to have because that is toxic, right? If I continue to have that relationship and I continue to continue, like literally continuously put myself in a position to be hurt, I am then toxic to myself. So how do we, how do we begin to reverse course, right? As we start to wrap up, how do we begin to reverse course healing? You start with you finding the root. As I always told you, finding the root to the problem. Where does this toxicity come from? And so when I've already said this, but I saw a meme, um, I already mentioned the meme by saying what it said, but the meme that I saw was um, put up by Niecy Nash. Um, and I really adore her uh, for a number of different reasons. Um, but um, it says, the only toxic relationship I've ever had is the one I had with myself. Everyone else was just a reflection of that. So you have to begin to heal the toxicity within yourself, right? The other way is gardening. And these are the tools that, thank you, Jesus, that God gave me this, this, this time around for you. You ready? So you have to water your garden. Hydration is key to growth, right? And so watering your garden helps a plant or watering a plant helps it to grow by transporting important nutrients through the plant. Nutrients are drawn from the soil and used by the plant. Without enough water in the cells, the plants droop. So water helps a plant to stand. Water carries the dissolved sugar and other nutrients throughout the plant. So you may have had the nutrients, but without water to help you transport what you know to your conscious mind, you will not do what you know is right. 
your id will always take over, right? Your superego will never have the chance to help you out. And so you won't be able to protect yourself and grow. How do we water our gardens? Who do you have in your circle? Who waters your garden? Who speaks into you? Who gives you life? Who sits on the phone with you for hours on end to make sure you're okay and to speak into your life? What girlfriends do you have that will strengthen you in ways that you never understood you needed to be strengthened? When do you meditate and take time for yourself to really process your emotions? What conversations are you engaging in? That is how you water your garden, right? Number two, we need to take the weeds out. And so how do we take those weeds out? Weeds are plants that are growing in the wrong place. Weeds are harmful in many ways. Reduction in crop yield. Weeds compete with crops for water. Nutrients and light. Listen to that again. Weeds compete with crops for water, nutrients, and light. Being hardy and vigorous in growth and habit, they grow faster than the crops and consume large amounts of water and nutrients, thus causing heavy losses and yields. Relationships with people who drain the life out of us, people who do not mean harm, right? They are the people in our lives who are actually great people, who are in and of themselves not toxic people. They are a plant just as we are a plant, right? But together, because there isn't this reciprocity, right? They don't, they literally drain us for everything that we have because that's, we're giving. We're giving, 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 and they're not giving to us. So we literally are drained by them. And they don't mean harm, but they never reciprocate the same love and emotion that we need. We find ourselves taking care of them and their emotions and always showing up for them, but they do not show up for us. How many friends do you have that way? How many family members do you have that drain the bejesus out of you? How many relationships have you been in that you've had to... I've had to do this, be the parent, or I've had, or you've had to be the person to bring them along, right? The next thing is to apply the correct fertilizers. Fertilizers work by providing essential nutrients to developing flowers, trees, and vegetation as a kind of multivitamin or meal replacement for the plant world. Many fertilizers also improve the way the soil works by helping to retain water better and allowing air to flow freely, which is good for roots. Come on, Jesus. What you read, what you ingest, that is what allows, that's what you allow into your spirit. So those memes, those books, those, that music, the news, etc. like what feeds you? We're not talking about what waters you, right? Those are the people around you, right? Those are the great friendships and those that's your time, your meditating, all of that, the conversations that you hold. But what feeds you? I'm Christian. I read the Bible, but I also read other things. What feeds you? 
What are you listening to? What are you putting in your spirit that is allowing you to grow the areas of your life that need to grow and to kill the roots in your life or kill the weeds in your life that need to be strangled and killed? What are you listening to or what are you what books are you getting into? Like have you read Becoming? Or have you read Shook One? Or have you I could I could go on and on and on. What books have you read? Crushing by T.D. Jakes. Have you read, what have you read that's going to feed your spirit? And that's going to get you to think about what podcasts are you listening to? Are you listening to With Love Divorce or no? Like, what you doing? (laughs) Um, What are you listening to that will feed your spirit and help you to heal, right? And help you to heal the trauma, the complex trauma in your life so that you can grow into the person that you were called to be, that you were literally grow into your purpose. What are you doing to get to where you need to be? That is your fertilizer. That is that is what you need to think about. Provide, the fourth one is to provide required sunlight. So you're laying hold of those enjoy moments. And enjoy literally means within, right? And when those enjoy moments, that's providing sun. Like what, like when you let your face out in the sun, like Literally, what are the moments in your life that you hold captive that make you happy? Um, one thing that makes me happy is going to my sister Makiba's house and laughing with her. Oh my gosh, Makiba and I can get on each other's nerves. Oh my gosh, you get on my nerves. Um, but my God, I can't imagine my life without my sister Makiba. She is my joy. I swear she is. She brings me so much joy. I am not going to cry, but I love her. I love her. She heals me in a way that she doesn't understand. Laughing with her and seeing my nieces, it is healing me. It is literally joy to my spirit. And I hold those moments. Those are those moments in the sun, right? Moments in the sun or moments with my friends where I'm laughing, right? Those are the things that heal me and help me grow. Number five, you have to prevent and control pests. Honey, 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 listen, all right? So ignoring toxic people, noticing the red flags and acting on those immediately. Those control, like controlling family and setting boundaries for them as well. We can't choose our family, but we can choose what disturbs our peace. So when I say preventing pests, right, that is you're setting your boundaries. So if you're starting to talk to somebody and you're starting to see red flags, it's like, "Mm -mm, shut that down immediately. There's no way that you can change them. Stop trying to paint them a new color. No, 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 no. Just like my, my Angelo said, you see what you see exactly. I can't even remember the quote right now. I'm going to put it up in the video. (laughs) But once they, oh, once they show you who they are, believe them. There's the quote. Thank you, Jesus. Put that, just drop that in my spirit. It's like, do. Um, so when people show you who they are, believe them, you see that red flag, let them go. That's preventing, right? Controlling the pests is to set boundaries, right? Setting those boundaries and saying, this is not what I'm going to allow in my spirit. This is not what I'm going to allow in my life. This is not what's going to feed me. This is not what's going to water me. This is not what I'm going to be fertilized with. This is not what's going to be my sun or my darkness. This is not right? Setting those boundaries. There are people in your life, there are family members in your life where those boundaries need to be set. And if you do not set those boundaries, you will continue to be toxic to yourself. That is something that I had to learn. 
set the boundaries, control the pests. The final one is to prevent and control disease. Is that the final one? That's a lie. That wasn't my final one. Six, prevent and control disease. So that's trigger checking myself. That was looking at that letter that I was about to write and saying, well, see what had happened was it's something didn't allow me to put it in there, but I could have sent it anyway. So I trigger checked myself. I did. I thought about that thing, <laughs> but trigger checking yourself saying, I am not going to allow this thing to control me. Right. And so, Hey, I have to get to a new place. I am triggered by this, but why am I triggered by this? I have to start asking the questions, right? Why am I, what feeling am I feeling right now? I'm angry. What's under that anger? I was hurt. What's under that hurt? Like, why am I hurt? Well, I'm tired of being never given a, a, a seat at the table. What's under that? I don't belong. What's under that? I'm adopted. What's under that? This is not my place. Trigger checking. Prune your plants. So, right, that's getting rid of anything that does not serve my emotional growth. Allowing people to walk away and walking away from the people who won't allow you to. Those who guilt you into staying and loving them to their to your own detriment. Pruning your plants. You got to cut some people off. Because there are people who are like, but I am your sister. Okay, well, you my sister, but you also treat me like trash. So how about I love you from a distance? <laughs> um, and so that is pruning your plants, right? That helps your garden to grow, right? Use, this is the final one, use clean tools. Considering the source and the intent. Everyone has suggestions about how you should live your life and how you should handle your situations. The intentions are key. You have to be able to rightly divide, right? We say that in the, in the church. Rightly divide the word <laughs> or distinguish the words, right? The thoughts and opinions of others. People who use scripture or not, or the knowledge of your situation to get you to make a decision that they feel is best for you when you have, when they have never walked in your shoes, that is manipulation, right? And so you have to use clean tools. You have to look at the person and you have to say, okay, is this coming from a clean person, a clean source? Is this coming from a clean slate? Someone who does not, is not looking at my situation, who's not trying to make me do what they want me to do, who is not trying to get me to think like they think because they think what they think is the right thing to do. It is important for you to look at the intent of others and before you bring that into your spirit. Because you know what is best for you. You know what you're triggered by. You know what is toxic for you. And you know what's going to keep the, the toxicity going within yourself. So you have to be the person to look and to make sure those tools that you're about to use are clean. Right? I want to say this. Um, discipline. You have to be disciplined regardless of your emotions. My fear with the podcast, right? I was overcome with fear coming into this. And to continuously create content, even though I'm going through what I'm going through. I'm going to do that. That is my commitment to you. Will I, will I ever have a time where I have to take a break again? Absolutely. But I want to continuously bring to you what I'm learning because and bring it to you when it's hot. Because at the end of the day, I'm still learning just as you are. I am no perfect person. I am not perfect. And I, and I love that I can be 
authentic with you and I can be raw with you and I can be real with you because at the end of the day, that's what it's about. That's what with love divorce is about. Most people think it's about about divorce and it's not and that's okay. Like that's like we want you to listen and think that it's about that and then figure out that it's about divorcing every single thing in your life that is not serving you. With love for yourself, divorce those things that are not good for you. And so by healing and checking yourself and using the gardening method and applying discipline, you set in motion healthy behaviors and boundaries that will ultimately become second nature to you. By doing this, you become in so in tune with your emotions that you are able to see the red flags with 2020 vision, unlike Samson. So I divorced Samson, y'all. And I'm hoping that you're going to divorce him too. Thank you so much for listening. We did go over, but I'm hoping that it was a blessing to you. Um, and until next time, next time we'll be talking about divorcing something else, right? So I can't wait to see y'all then. Y'all have a great weekend. I love y'all.